0: Sell 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 sell! Bye bye bye! From the AMFM 24-7 Radio Network, broadcasting
1: from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration Award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's Wednesday the 8th, only two weeks to Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? Unbelievable how fast This season is ramping up. It's because we have an early Thanksgiving this year. Thanksgiving is on the 23rd, which is really early, I guess. And so it's throwing off the schedule. I just can't believe how fast we've gotten here. We have a fantastic show for you today. Mike Shapiro is with us. He is a real estate expert, but more, he is talking today about red tape. And how to get rid of it and structural awareness and situational awareness, being aware of what's going on around you. It all ties together, believe me. And this is a fascinating interview. We have a long conversation with Mike. You will learn a lot. After that, Patrick Hill will be with us. He is building a new podcast uh, platform called Dystopia. It's not, he's not building it, it's built, it's out there and has. A huge number of users, audiobooks and musicians and podcasters, anyone producing content. It's a really cool story, what Patrick is doing. So you will be blown away by him. On Friday, we have David Ewing from one of the premier Oracle partner companies out there and one of the EO, Entrepreneur Organization, uh, presidents. So excited for that. Great stuff coming. Oh, and the diploma. We're meeting our diploma person on Friday as well. The entrepreneur behind you, the fact that you have a diploma on your wall. A lot of great stuff coming up. Thanks for being with us. We're gonna get started in just a second. Bye bye bye!
0: reach out to us if
1: you have any questions or comments, or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from @entrepreneurjim entrepreneur Jim, and he responds to emails at james.beach at Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show.
2: We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us. Very excited to introduce my first guest. His name is Mike Shapiro. Boy, what a career. He is an entrepreneur, investor, real estate guy, real estate coach separately, author, and is now starting a Forbes podcast. He is author of a book called read the tape using situational awareness to predict business and personal probabilities. Before this, he has been very successful, as I said, in a lot of different places. He is the founder, I'm sorry, the co-founder of EQTY, and, which is, I think, a global part of Forbes real estate, I think. Is that true?
0: That is correct. Equity Forbes Global Properties, and yes. Is that the thing we, that you
2: bought when it was bankrupt and grew it to 7 no, billion No, 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 sales? no, no, no.
0: That's, that's a startup. That's a new company that we just started in, I think it was November of 2022, so that's okay. new.
2: There's too many to get sorted through here. And then Plunk <laughs> a- is a real estate tech startup that he's doing out of Seattle. He's also a frequent speaker, TV and conferences, all of that. Mike, welcome. Let's sort all of this out. How you doing?
0: Good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.
2: So, I mean, you started off in real estate, right? Am I at least right there?
0: No, not at all. I <laughs> I started off as a um, market maker, or well, that's right. read the tape in Chicago—that's <laughs> where the book title yes. comes from. Yes, that's where the title comes from. So it gives you an idea of my age. <laughs> so, okay, um, where we would literally read the ticker tape, or as they would say, the stock prices would uh, scroll across the bottom of the screen. So um, that was what gave me the information necessary to make the correct trade. So that's where that came from.
2: And that led you to the bankrupt real estate place in Southern California? I'm I trying to, uh, I, I can't put it together in my mind yet. So you're in Chicago. No. How do you end up in Southern California in real estate?
0: <laughs> A long, long road. Um, so uh, my wife and I lived in Chicago for about 10 years. I'm originally from the New York area, and um, we were not happy in New York, or I'm from the New York area, and she's not. She's from the Midwest. She's from actually Peoria, Illinois. So, the compromise I said, I'm not moving to Peoria because you want to be closer to home. We were kids, you know, We got married when we were 25 years old. And so, we packed up the car. I said, I'm not living in Peoria. I live in Chicago. We moved to Chicago, um, and I was going to be in the stockbroker, like uh, one of those training programs. I had a friend who, um was a trader on the exchange floor and uh he invited me for lunch i went down there and i was like oh my god this is the best i want to do this for a living this is it so i got a job down on the exchange floor and then grew from um what they call a runner where i moved paper from the um phones to the pit, to an arbitrage clerk, to becoming uh, a trader for a firm, and then becoming my own market maker. Ending up at the Chicago Board of Office Exchange in um, Chicago, and in the uh, main stock was the Merck Merck Pharmaceuticals. So how did I get from Chicago to um, California? Well, (laughs) we were there for 10 years. We did well early in our lives. We both met each other at school in Arizona, and we wanted to get out of the weather. The markets had changed dramatically, and it was easier for me to trade from off the floor. And so we moved to Arizona, and we thrived there. And about a year and a half, two years after we moved to Arizona, as everyone knows, the heat is horrible. We ended up buying a home um, in Newport Beach. And uh, I don't know if you believe in these things or not, but our next-door neighbor, in Newport Beach, end ended up saving my wife's life. She had breast cancer very young, 39 years old, and he saved her life. And my wife wanted to move to Newport for not only because it's a beautiful place, because uh, she felt safer there. And um, I think when you face um, mortality issues early in life, I think you switch gears rapidly and we decided that we were comfortable financially and decided that we didn't want to work any longer and move to Newport, which was amazing concept in terms of, you know, where we lived, it was wonderful, but it was a horrible decision on my part to do nothing. And it was one of the worst years of my existence, which I subsequently went into, um, venture capital and which led me to the real estate business. This is going to be a long conversation. So I was a venture capitalist. Somebody asked me to, um, invest in a real estate business that they had in Arizona. Uh, and then I, um, They wanted to move a a part of their business to California, and I asked some friends who were in here, and uh, subsequently they told me about a company called Home Real Estate Group um, that was failing, and this was in 07, um, not due to themselves, but due to the market. And I ended up making a small investment and uh, taking control over it and grew it from essentially bankruptcy to one of the largest other in the world. So that's how I ended up in Southern California. That's how I ended up in the real estate business. A very condensed version.
2: (laughs) Right. And then your publicist took that and condensed it and then sent it through chat GPT. And that's what I got. So anyway, (laughs) how does reading the tape Then now I understand where that comes from. The ticker Mm -hmm. tape. I didn't understand that. How does that lead to though your ability to have this incredible situational awareness?
0: So I think when you're on an exchange floor, you have to learn um, very rapidly through. Uh, you know, noise, reading information, reading um, what's happening in the marketplace, uh, capturing a massive amount of information. All stocks, um, options, um, tradable securities are highly reactive to everything that happens in the environment, geopolitical, interest rates, um, mood. I mean, all sorts of issues. So it just kind of trains you when you become a profitable trader to like be very, very observant of what's happening in your environment and making, um, uh, you know, patient uh, behavioral patterns like what is the future hold? What is the probability of future? Now, this is interesting because I sort of write in the book that you only have to be right 51% of the time, so it's absurd for me to say that reading the tape that I'm always right because that's ridiculous. But what it does teach you is that you're wrong a lot, and what it teaches you when you're wrong, you learn how to be wrong and to utilize being the right 51% of the time and utilizing that to be the most profitable. But the combination of a multitude of things that I learned from the floor of situational awareness and how to utilize that and become successful.
2: All right. Can you give us some tips to learn that from you? How do I pay more attention? You know, I feel like my kids, they could get run over by a truck and then you could go, an hour later. did you see the truck and they would go, there was a truck. I didn't know about a truck. Well, <laughs> Mike, but this, uh, I just let me digress Mike I just want to tell you this one random story before we get into this my mother was a nurse anesthetist so she put people mm-hmm. to sleep before there was the profession of anesthesiology so in the 50s wow. and interesting, she did that for Dr. DeBakey in Houston who was world famous wow. for heart transplants one of the most famous yes. heart doctors in the world and her first test with, uh, I don't remember if it was DeBakey or somebody else, the first question on the test, Mike, was how many stairs are on the front of this building? Because they wanted the nurses to learn to pay attention to what was going on around them because that had a lot to do with medicine. Anyway, that random story came to mind. Anyway, go ahead
0: that's actually accurate description of what is your field so this is interesting the comment that you made so it, it's situational awareness is completely dependent on what you're doing for a living and you know how you um, matriculate in that industry so like medicine is a classic example is like the best doctors are not necessarily only the ones that look at blood tests or scans or whatever the latest technology provides as far as di- diagnostician sometimes it's as simple as Somebody just the way they feel, or they're looking at your, their patient, or knowing their patient for a long period of time, or they're situationally aware. I mean, this is not to digress again. This happened to me where I have, um, you know, bad diverticulitis, and I, um, was, uh, visiting my, um, gastroenterologist. Um, and I don't know if you know what diverticulitis is, but it's stomach something cream, that happens. Cream, bad <laughs> yeah. <stomach> <laughs> <cream>. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. So, um, I saw him and you know, normally you just take antibiotics. It's basically a pocket in your intestines. It's quite common. Um, in Americans because I like fast food. Let's put it that way. Um, Anyway, so uh, he looked at me and because he has known me for a long time and because he is situational aware, he looked at me and he said to me, I don't like this. And I said to him, what do you mean? I don't like this. I said, I don't know because I want you to take a scan. And I said, I want to do a stat, which means I'm immediately read and immediately done. I looked at him like, I don't want the radiation and and whatnot. And he said, no, 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 you're going now. Went downstairs where the medical office was, had a scan, thought he was out of his mind, and the radiologist came out and says, Hey, your diverticulitis caused a blood clot. You need to go to the hospital immediately. So here is a gentleman that for all indications on, you know, my normalized blood pressure, you know, how I felt, no fever, none of this. He just sort of read it and saved my life. So I went to the hospital and everything is obviously okay. But there's a classic example of someone reading the tape. So reading the tape means You're aware of the industry you're in, aware of who you are, what you are, what's around you. And you have that sort of additional sense of, um, you know, what is the probability of what's going to happen? And I think that people can learn that through lots of exposure, lots of experience and um, uh, paying attention uh, and, and not always listening to what's going on outside, but sometimes listening to your gut. They've actually proven that people who listen to their gut are more accurate. It's kind of an odd thing to say, but it's the truth. So yes, that's what it's all about. Even you, you're a, you're in an interviewing on a podcast. You have done this for long enough and you're successful at what you do. You start to learn about your guests behaviors, intonations and decide where you want to go with this interview. It's sort of reading the tape or reading how I'm sounding and reading where we're going. I mean, if, if, if you will.
2: All right. Other than paying attention better, what can we do to start working on our intuition? You say, listen, Pay attention better. Uh, I like to just go at the mall and sit there and watch people sometimes. Uh, my so wife I. and I go to the bar and we play the game. What is that person over there thinking about and just randomly
0: guess stuff? Um, what is yes. Your ideas I mean, are? I, I think my ideas are always, um, putting yourself in as many situations that you possibly can in, in observation, and in engagement, in whatever industry you are. Reading as much as you possibly can in whatever industry you're in. Being exposed to as many things as you can. I mean, I personally read four newspapers. I'm probably the <laughs> last person to read paper newspapers. But I read four newspapers in the morning. I watch uh, television news. I'm constantly engaging with people. I have a, a rule where I take every meeting and take every phone call. So it's always this a sense of engagement or constant sense of learning that just adds to your situational awareness and adds to your gut reaction. It adds to your ability to think uh and be creative and create or you know, create wealth or whatever that is that you're trying to accomplish. Because wealth is not only determined as far as money, wealth can be in many different ways.
2: Mike, can you remember any examples of you learning a data point and then later that turning into a significant event or money or can you, yes. Give
0: me an example. I remember um, being a new trader on the floor, and I was in currencies, and this is before the first Gulf War, and I was trading um, This is before the Euro-dollar, um, for example, and I was trading Swiss franc, which is still exi- in existence, but there was Swiss franc, and uh, De- Deutsche Mark, and um, French franc, and all the other European currencies. And I remember um, the Secretary of State was James Baker, and Iraq had invaded Kuwait. So I knew that my opinion was that they were going to go to war no matter what. And he was in a meeting, and it was like sort of a dramatic thing about him exiting and saying that we're going to war. And what I didn't realize at the time as a young trader is that the market had already read that. The market had already built into it its perception It's analysis that we're going to war and the, the dollar had already moved significantly higher because usually under massive um, stress or political turmoil, people race the dollar as the safest currency. If that makes any sense. So I made a mistake because I had started buying dollars like crazy, thinking that he was going to say war and all of a sudden the dollar would explode even more. But instead, it was already built into the market because who wouldn't have known that? And it reversed and the dollar sank, which I lost a great deal of money, not my own. Fortunately, I was working for somebody at the time. So, yeah, there was a learning experience of where situational awareness where, what was I, an idiot? How did I not see that what everyone knows is already built in? So I've learned that before. If everyone knows the information, it's already built in the probable market space. So, yeah, that was a learning experience, a painful, expensive learning experience. And it's changed me since.
2: And what do you see with the real estate market now, Mike, where are we going? Uh, It's been crazy market, but I think there's some significant signs that we're cooling down, at least here in the Southeast. What are you seeing nationally and locally?
0: So I always say that real estate is done in time series. What I mean by that is that um, there's event horizons with real estate. So, for example, there was the 1995 to 2007 um, real estate markets where uh, you had um, a massive movement, tons of transactions, massive increase in real estate prices, continued declining in interest rates for the most part. And um, obviously, if you were breathing, you could get a loan. And then we saw, as you know, the collapse in 08, which dropped real estate market prices somewhere between 30 and 50% nationally um, is when I entered the market. Uh, And so you know, I didn't think that there was anarchy coming and it was a good time to enter the market and obviously um, had explosive growth with my company from that time series. So that's reading a time series to that point from 2008 um, to 2018 was another time series where you saw um, that growth trajectory and changes in the finance structure and a much healthier real estate market. And we saw massive growth, massive increases in valuation. And that time series had basically ended in 18 and where you saw a potential recession, if you could remember. And then we have something that co- happened called COVID and COVID changed everything on a sort of a, a you know, a unusual event. It was horrible, but it was good for the real estate market, but it was a horrible situation in general. But what it did was added massive additional liquidity. Suddenly our homes became everything to us where we worked, um, where we had our family, everything, our home was everything. And you saw this huge increase in valuations and massive additional liquidity the government provided. And now we see this time series that we're in now where um, you see the draining of like liquidity or draining of that pool of money. And so why you're seeing significant decreases in transactional volume. However, people will argue the prices are still up because you can't have the comps to show it because it's a comp business. But I do think that real estate will decline in valuation because of interest rates. So as if interest rates climb, it's causing, whether you're paying cash or you're borrowing, it's cost that much more to buy a house. So there's an adjustment to the valuations, if that makes any sense. Do I think this is going to be a repeat of a way? No, but I think there's a decline. Already, my opinion is down 10% as it is. As you see things that are potentially on the market at certain price points, I'm um, not moving. So do what I think the future holds, I think that as you see, the Fed is somewhat holding off on increases in interest rate. Stability is what markets always want. So I think we'll see increased transactional volume this year. Coming into 2024, I think most people are projecting uh, some decrease in interest rate, which then should put another more foundation into the real estate market. And I see some normalized patterns of real estate um, depreciation and, uh, and also transactional volume. And what I mean by normalized, everything, as I've said many times before, is sort of this moving average. And if you look at over history, as I've talked about all these time series, you look at the history in general, you can see that um, there's some level of normalization in terms of transactional volume, price appreciation in each trade area. And it usually tries to go to that middle point. So if we're way under, it tries to increase. Am, am I making sense? Or yes, you are. Um, and it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. So, so, so that's where I see. So I always say everyone look at moving averages. Um, move What is the average? And you can usually make a decision of when you should or shouldn't buy, sell, or do something in a specific market. So yes, I think that the future is bright in the real estate business. And I do see, um, you know, not massive increases in valuation, but probable normalized valuations and uh, increases in whatever trade area you are. And those are sectored accordingly as well. And I'm sorry, I'm condensing a massive amount of information in a very short period of time. So I believe that as far as real estate is concerned, as you already saw, what I think is the future. I also think, that real estate is sectored into three different silos. Um, one is the sort of premier luxury market, and there are probably not that many of them. Where do you do you live in Florida? Where in Florida I mean, do you Atlanta, live? Georgia. Oh, okay. So in Atlanta, like there are communities, I think like Buckhead, Buckhead is considered like, yeah, okay. So Buckhead's considered uh, like a luxury spot or high premium spot. So each, even in certain cities, there are. Um, sector. So what I mean by that is luxury premier where that is like a plus property, the house on the ski run in Aspen, the house on the beach in Newport Beach, uh, the uh, Manhattan penthouse on Central Park South, um, you know, the prime spot in Buckhead uh, with a prime piece of property. These are luxury spots. They tend to be more resistant to decreases and more resistant to um, uh, collapses because of uh, inherent or intrinsic valuation. Um, and so they also are highly correlated to the stock market, um, especially the Dow Jones. There's a secondary um, silo, I call I call it growth silo. And those are areas that have grown significantly. We can almost talk about them as like the tech sector, um, sort of the Nashville's, the Austin, Texas. You hear about these, uh, South Florida. You're in an area in, um, the Southeast where there's massive amounts of increases in people moving there, more job growth. That's the growth sector or silo. And there, like I said, there could be different things. And then there's a third silo, which is I like called the shelter silo. That's not a negative. Um, classic examples of that are in the Midwest, where people say they don't invest in housing. It's just what they're, where they live, and it's, it doesn't really have high levels of volatility, and it, it mimics um, other markets. So I always like to think of it as like the Dow Jones Industrial Average being premier, because if you think about it, Dow Jones takes the best stocks in the nation, and I talk about NASDAQ, which really is tech heavy, which is looking for growth stocks and sort of similar to idea to the, what I'm saying as far as selling and real estate. And I look at the S&P 500 and incorporating the entire um, sphere of the major stocks. And it doesn't have as much volatility. Did that make any sense?
2: Yeah, it did. Saying? I'm going to go back and listen <laughs> to it again and make sure that I understand it. And I will post a transcript, too, for all of us readers so that we can sure. take it a little Thank slower. Sure. I want to push my luck here though, Mike, and take it a step further. What about all of the 50, 50 hatred in America? I'm a hundred percent right. And you're on the other side and you're an idiot. Um, yes. Well, I, I
0: I will, I I will, I will take it being, I I am an idiot and I, I wear that badge proudly. You know what I'm doing though. You know what I'm saying? I'm not calling. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kidding around. I'm having fun. But yeah, you are an idiot, but go ahead and answer the question. (laughs) What are we doing with this? How is this impacting uh, national valuations? Not
2: really about a real estate, just uh, your situational awareness. Uh, America seems like we hate each other right now and we're uh, all ready to fight each other. We want to. Get mad at the person next to us on the airplane because their iPad is too loud or whatever. And uh your opinions are crazy and the other half sure, is literally right. crazy. I mean, those people are
0: insane what they're right. it's, saying. It's,
2: uh just the big macro picture. Play thirty thousand foot.
0: Okay, so this is an interesting question, not interesting, it's actually a sad question that we have to answer nowadays in our nation, which is the greatest nation on earth. And I believe that it's given me massive opportunities, and my parents and my grandparents who moved there were immigrants and, you know, f- uh, fleeed horrors in their own country. So what do I think? I think that we're missing leadership. So I think leadership is about co, co-, co- mingling all ideas and moderation and um, narratives and directing the country to what what our core fundamental values are so i think we're just missing that leadership instead of everyone just yelling at one another what they think versus like hey let's all become one and let's find an equal and fair path and so i think that we've seen leaders in our past that have been able to do that great communicators and that's what it takes. And so it's unfortunate that lately we don't seem to have that. We don't seem to have that sort of, um, you know, we're all long for, and I'm not telling my political beliefs right now, but we all long for the Reagans, okay, <laughs> where they communicated and it was this wonderful thing. You listen to them speak. Um, you know, uh, another time where uh, it was about um, moderation or it, on the other side of the ledger, even Obama, his oratory skills were extraordinary in bringing a nation together, trying to be the best that we can be. So, yeah, what do I think? I think we need leaders that try to push that agenda where they listen to all sides and try to accomplish the best that they can. So that's what I think. And I don't know why we've devolved into this. And it saddens me every day as I read the paper and watch the television to see people screaming at one another and things not getting done. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible and, and dehumanizing. It's, it's, it's just um, awful for me to see that, regardless of what side of the political ledger you're on. There's a little, there's a lot right about every side other than hate. Let's put it that way.
2: Let's totally change the topic, Mike. What are your thoughts on entrepreneurship? If your kid or a friend, 25 year old came to you and said they wanted to be an entrepreneur, what macro advice would you give them? What are your pet peeves of entrepreneurship?
0: Well, first of all, the very name entrepreneur means you're crazy. So, um, which is good. Crazy but entrepreneur means that you want to take your creativity and remember you always get paid for your creativity and take the next level and continue to drive forward. So I've said being an entrepreneur is having ironically sort of part of the last question you asked me a narrative that everyone understands what is the direction, great leadership of where you're trying to go with a product or service and constantly Every day, because you're going to be facing adversity on a daily basis, pushing forward to get to that goal. So entrepreneur means that you understand all of these issues and you're able to push forward. So the greatest entrepreneurs that we know of have these amazing capability of communicating their narrative and driving that forward, driving that concept forward and there's just many of them and so if you think about all of the amazing companies that have come about from garages or from nowhere and to these extraordinary wealth creation and change the planet where did they start how do they start who are they led by and that's what being an entrepreneur means do i think everyone can be an entrepreneur no do i think that um you know, if you could be an entrepreneur, yes, I think it's a gut reaction. I think it's like something like, yeah, I know I want to do this. I know the risks I'm taking to do this and they're worth it. And having been an entrepreneur my whole life, I would say, yes, it was worth the risks and all of the um, turmoil associated with that for me, but that's not for everybody. And it shouldn't be for everybody. That's okay. It's not a bad thing. In fact, answering your question.
2: Mike, how do we find out more? Follow you online. Get a copy of read the tape.
0: So I am on Amazon. I, um, am at, um, all the booksellers. Um, you can do it at, I am at, uh, my, the name of my, uh, website is the Shapiro method. S H A P I R O M E th d.com i'm on instagram under the shapiro method if anyone who wants to communicate to me it's easily found on instagram um i think that uh i have a blog um under the same uh, com that you can read and i do answer people's questions and i actually like comments and i really like if people think i'm wrong (laughs) i really like when people tell me that i've said something wrong or i've done something wrong or you know what should i correct or what should i have not done but i the book why i wrote the book was because it was a a testament to my dad was very blessed in my life to have a father like i did who died very young and he taught me many things And how to be sort of an entrepreneur, for lack of a description. And I wrote it because that was what motivated me. And what he did for me, I tried to do for others. And that's why the book was written. And the book was written in a novelized version, so it's more of a story. So it's more fun. But what he did for me, which is unusual, and I tried to do for others, is that he only celebrated everything I failed at. So he literally, I don't remember him ever telling me that I did something great if I got a great grade. I only remember if I screwed up royally and then saying, That's my kid, not in a bad way, like making a goal for the other team or getting a bad grade. That's my kid. I love you. So, what did he do for me? What did he create for me? He created a situation where I knew how to fail and it was okay. Yes, that's what success is built on. I know we hear this all the time in the news, but that's the life that I live, lived as a child. And that's the life that I live as an adult. And I try to pass that along. So yes, though, that is what he gave to me and I'm trying to share it. And it was an extraordinary gift. And I am sorry that I lost him so early in my life.
2: That is too bad. Very sorry. I just lost my father uh, almost exactly a year ago. And I still crying a little bit every day. So,
0: of course. I'm so it. sorry to hear that. that yeah.
2: Mike, appreciate you being on the show. Great stuff. hope the book sells really well for you.
0: I really appreciate your time as well, and I'm sorry to be getting such in-depth comments. And so if anybody, anybody has any questions, don't hesitate. I know it's a short, so hopefully everyone understood what I was trying to say. <laughs> uh,
2: as I said, we'll try to post the transcript. That'll help the readers, and we will be right back in just a second. So that's
1: a that's a wonderful question actually, give. Oh my gosh, I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's that's a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question and and I don't have a great answer. That's
2: a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded
1: question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio.
2: I ran across a really cool new platform that I need to tell you about and I want to introduce you to the entrepreneur behind it. It's called Disctopia, and it allows creatives like us, podcasters, radio people, artists, musicians to actually have control and to monetize their work in a better way and to have a lot better control of the data as well. Please welcome Patrick Hill to the show. He has a really great. Uh, background. He's worked for some amazing companies. He worked with Duke power for quite a few years, which down here in the South is a very well-known power company. I used to have their services. Also, he was with bank of America where he was vice president for six years and then general electric. Well, that's pretty impressive group of companies to have worked for. He's also been a professor at uh, Central Piedmont College teaching computer science. And he's taken all of that knowledge and is trying to help us creatives with Dystopia. Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How about you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you. Tell me all about Dystopia. Uh,
1: yeah, so Dystopia is a platform that um, we started maybe to date now about five years ago six years ago and it all started when uh, my friend knocked on my door and asked me to burn him a cd i was like i'm not burning any cds um that's not what i'm gonna do but i'll help you build a website so you can get your music out and he was you know trying to put a mixtape out and you know just you know get his entrepreneurship kind of, uh, grind going. And we put them a website and, um, he made like 250 bucks within an hour based off and of just tweeting the link out and putting it on Facebook at the time. And that's when I came up the freedom to kind of distribute yourself. So we started allowing indie creators, musicians primarily. So we, we, got our chops in um music, that's how we got started. And from there we kind of just started to grow to other spectrums of creativity to podcasts, audiobooks. Now we do podcast videos, music videos, so on and so forth. So that's how we got started. And then, you know, people kept saying that they don't get to see enough of their data, their data, their data. So I was like, well, If it hits our servers, we'll give it to you. I mean, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you the server log if you want it. Not my data, it's yours. Um, And then we started to kind of teach creatives how to better sell themselves and position themselves based off the data that they're reading.
2: All right, interesting. Uh, A lot to unpack there. Let's start with the data, though. Why? What's so valuable about that? I got 4,000 hits. Is that, I mean... That's what we're talking about, right? What's what, so exciting about that?
1: Right. So typically most platforms, that's where they stop. Like, oh, damn, you have 4,000 hits. But what about those hits? Oh, we can tell you if they're in this age range or we can tell you if they come from Charlotte or New York. Well, I want to know what the engagement of those hits because each one of those hits technically are worth a different value. Um, depending on who listen to your podcast or your music or your audiobook, most people listen. you have an exclusive audience, everyone has an exclusive audience, even if it 's just one person, still an exclusive audience because it 's yours and if out of those four thousand hits, if two thousand of those people actually are highly engaged, and we call that a true play, meaning they listen to seventy five percent or more of the content. Um, you should not be paid the standard CPM which is $20. You should actually be paid more, but well, we've calculated around $58 for that CPM because that person is highly engaged in whatever you're talking about. Um, and there are some that stay for 15%. Um, IAB only counts 60 seconds. So they're only giving you value for the first 60 seconds of your podcast, of your music, or your any piece of content you're putting out. But what we are trying to say is that every single hit is no longer the same because technology is better, content is king, and we wanna make sure that you understand your data down to the person so that you can slice and dice your data and actually get the full value. And that works both ways from creators and advertisers or whoever, is however you're monetizing your content. People want to pay fair value for fair work. So, we give the data so that you're allowed to do that.
2: All right. Where's the $58 come from? Is that for advertisers? What you're saying that an advertiser should pay
1: for a CPM? Uh, yes, an advertiser should pay around $58 for a true play. A true play is a highly engaged user. And for instance, um a bank wants to advertise with you because you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um your engagement is probably really high among that crowd. Um and you should be paid fifty eight dollars for a true play, which is around, you know, seventy five percent of the content, as long as it's debt content, fifteen minutes or more, uh, because it's more likely for that person to Open an account, do business, apply for a loan if you are encouraging to do that because you are the voice of reason and you are the voice that they trust. So that is the reason why we calculated it uh, up to $58. It's a lot of other things in there. Um, when do they start? When do they stop? What podcasts do they normally listen to? And that's how we kind of calculate whether they are a highly engaged user of your content. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a little math, a little science, and a small bit of common sense. Um, have you, and this is a question for you, have you ever advertised on LinkedIn versus Google ads?
2: What do you mean advertised?
1: Not posting, right? Meaning, you mean advertised? Uh, no, I mean paid ads. I mean, the LinkedIn ad paid model is three to four times more expensive than Google, Facebook or any other paid advertising. And it's because you can drill down to the exact person that you're trying to target. You can target by job title, you can target by company, you can target by age, and those things. So the uh, the ability to use LinkedIn's data to find the exact person you're looking for, they charge a little bit more. LinkedIn paid advertising is a little more expensive by five times, up to five times, because uh, LinkedIn assumes that you're doing B2B sales, your revenue will be higher, so therefore we're going to charge a little more per click. Um, And that's the same way that you should think if you're a creator. Why are you not thinking that way when it comes to your data? You actually have a more exclusive audience than LinkedIn does. You know your audience better than anyone. All right.
2: So are you finding... Three times the success with LinkedIn ads versus Google ads to justify the extra cost?
1: Yes, I am personally because at this point, um, Dystopia is really evolving. Um, we are finding radio stations, podcast networks that are willing to pay a little more. Um, we just went through a digital transformation with Jet Magazine, which is an old school magazine. They have a very, very exclusive niche audience. Um, and they're converting over to a podcast slash article slash video application, which is streaming. Um, we actually found the, uh, president from Jet Magazine through LinkedIn. Um, so we, we've seen that work for us. Um, and, we know that content creators, whether you are a podcaster or you're a company or you're a radio station, uh, we know that each creator has their own exclusive audience and we just want to make sure that we give you as much data as possible for your exclusive audience, no matter who you are. And for the,
2: like the basic op- uh, operational side, just posting, do you actually host the Podcast and all of the music, or do you point to it where it is hosted? Which one?
1: No, we actually host it. So we are one of the, well, at this current moment, we are the first agnostic hosting streaming platform, meaning we really don't care about your content. We understand it's yours. Um, and it's it's our job to get it from point A to point B. And that's what we feel like we do well. Um, we host, like I said, we started in music, so we host music, we host podcasts, uh, we branched out to audiobooks. Uh, currently right now it's in beta, uh, but it is available. But we are agnostic. We don't care if you're a teacher at a school. And your exclusive audience is students and you want to stream content. We don't care if you're Jet Magazine and you have an exclusive audience in the African American community. You want to stream content. I mean, we don't care if you're a bank and you want to stream to your 3,000 employees about rules of finance. Um, If you have content and you have an exclusive audience, we'll help you get it there.
2: And how many different groups, podcasters, musicians... Businesses, are you working with now? How many are hosting there?
1: Um, so we have about overall uh, 15,000 users. Um, the bulk of those are free users just uploading podcasts and music and listening to other people's podcasts and music since we are a hosting company. Um, we have about close to 1,000 artists. We have about close to 2,000 podcasters. And we are closing in on about 15 different enterprise companies, including Jet Media.
2: Pretty impressive. Very good numbers. And so you mentioned the cost. Is it, Who pays and what are the different price points? You said post for free. Did I catch that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have um, a hosting plan that is free for 30 days. Um, after the 30 days, it starts at 9 bucks, and those are for your independent podcasters just out here trying to, you know, put up an episode here and there. Um, then it goes to 19 bucks a month, and that includes a video, so you can stream podcast videos. You can actually upload music videos if you want, um, and that $19 plan, it actually includes selling merch, so there's an e-commerce component where you can actually sell to your exclusive audience. After that, um, if you're a business or enterprise, uh, you definitely want to contact us. Um, it can get a little tricky from there because some businesses don't even have their own app. Some businesses want exclusive encrypted, private streaming capabilities for their internal employees and associates. So we start at a very, very bottom, um, content owner all the way up into a financial firm.
2: All right. Very cool. I'm on the site now and, uh, it looks like there's a lot of stuff here. I want to listen to. So, um, very interesting. What do you see the future of, of podcasting and music and all of the fights that we're having over AI and the, actors strike and the writers are still on strike. I think as of right this second, when this is recorded, uh, well, what's going to happen? What's the future look like? Are we going to have more creative, less creative? Does AI start doing episode eight after I've done seven for it to learn my voice from, and I don't have to do it anymore. Uh, so many <laughs> podcasters do it for six months and quit. Um I've yep. heard podcast is dying. I've you've heard that five times now and then it's you know the next thing and then it's dead. Uh it seems like the future is just uh super cloudy. What do you think it looks like? What's your best guess?
1: Um the future is bright for any content owner. Um we were like I said, when we started we were all about independent artists, independent podcasters. And then TikTok kind of just took off and Instagram was out then, but it wasn't what it is now. And everybody was a content creator. Everybody. I was like, there's a very thin line between content creator and artist um, nowadays. And we then pivoted to content ownership. And everyone in the future will own content. Um, no matter what it is, um, data is going to transform into content. And those data points will create stories and different things of that nature. Um, I am in the firm belief that we went from stone tablets to ink and feathers, to typewriters, to email. Um, I firmly believe our next form of communication as just human beings is audio and video. Um, we're on AI is going to write for us. AI is going to talk for us, but we still will be owners of the content. So with that being said, audio and video is here to stay as a form of communication. And as long as we communicate with each other, um, then podcasting from an audio standpoint will be here. I think there will be other things in podcasting. So for instance, um, we're the first platform to have PDF to podcast. So you can upload a PDF and then convert it to a podcast. I mean, who wants to read a 95-page PDF on on how to uh, secure your funds? Um, so what they did was they uploaded it, created it into a four-episode podcast, and they saw the engagement rate go through the roof. No one was reading the PDF, um, but they would listen to a podcast while they work out while they drive to work, while they're in the garden, so on and so forth. So the engagement rate for that piece of content went up um, as much as uh, 75, I think 78% um, told by our client. Um, So no one reads a bunch of emails, but we will convert to listeners and viewers because it's just quicker. It's how much content you can digest. So I do think podcasting is here to stay I just think uh, podcasting will evolve from the basement of kind of you know where it started. I don't think it's dead. Uh, I think it's much. Uh, we're at the very beginning of audio communication um, outside of the telephone. So,
2: and what about dystopia? What's your goal there? What do you want to do with the business?
1: Um, our vision for dystopia, the long-term vision is to be the number one agnostic streaming platform. Um, And that's our goal, that's our plan. Um, Right now, in the next 18 months, and that's more of a short term, we are looking to captivate as many enterprise clients as possible and free as many independent podcasters as possible from the grips of uh, those shall not be named corporations that only give you 4,000 hits. Uh, And that's all the data they give you. Um, So that is our, our our immediate mission is to increase the user base. Um, We do plan on um, expanding our revenue model into um, what we like to call context advertising, where we advertise based on the content, not based on the person. So I don't, care if you're uh, a woman or a man or a child or you know where you live um we want to advertise things and show you things based on the content that you're consuming so if you listen to home improvement podcast then we're going to show you a home improvement store commercial um and I don't really care who you are um, right now advertising is based on who you are where you live your age And as we know, as data becomes more restrictive, those um, data points will be um, restricted from streaming platforms like us.
2: Interesting. I'm going to have to deep dive into this, Patrick, and continue to learn from you. Unfortunately, though, we're out of time. How do we find out more follow online, get our content up?
1: Oh, that's easy. Um, Dystopia.com is first as D-I-S-C, as in compact disc. So D-I-S-C-T-O-P-I-A We're on all social media the same way Dystopia.com
2: Fantastic Appreciate you being with us Great story and we'll have to keep following this one and see how it turns out I'm fascinated <laughs> Thank you
1: Pleasure to be here
2: Well we are out of time You hear the music but we are back soon Be safe everyone Take care and Go make a million dollars Bye now